Grateful to have you with us this morning. I want to turn your attention to the Gospel of Matthew once again as we take this wonderful journey through Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 7 is where we are. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is a king. He has a kingdom, and his kingdom is very different than any other kingdom. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's describing what it's like to be part of his kingdom. And indeed, many times when we look around us and we look at the way we live as Christians in this world, it's as though we don't live any different than anybody else. And again, as Richard Owen Roberts said, if we don't seek our hearts on God, we'll seek inconsequential things. We'll, think, we'll want things that don't really matter. I'm reminded again of John Piper, one of his illustrations of a little child at the beach who... Uh, has his back to the beautiful ocean and the gorgeous white sands. Instead, he's turned the other way and he's playing a little puddle of mud there at the beach and he's completely captivated by the dirty puddle of mud and completely unaware of the beautiful, gorgeous beach that is behind him and ocean. And indeed, many of us, even as followers of Christ, we're captivated by the things of this world. And when we do that, we lose sight of the beauty and the glory of God. And Jesus is calling us to a different kingdom, a different kind of life in the Sermon on the Mount. And it does us well to continue to look at it. This morning we're going to look at some very familiar passages, but before we do that, let's, let's sort of run up to them. One of, the, one of the challenges with the Sermon on the Mount is it becomes a cafeteria and people sort of pick and choose this verse and that verse literally out of context and say, this is what this means. And you'll, even people are in the secular and pagan world will do that on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus did not speak in two sentences, but rather he's delivering a very lengthy sermon. And this is part of it. So chapter 7, let's go back with verse 1. We've already gone through this, but it'll be good for us to remember it. Judge not that you be not judged, for with your judgment you pronounce you'll be judged with the measure it'll be measured out to you. Again, we're not talking about don't be discerning. You have to be discerning about people. But don't be critical. Don't be condemning. And I shared with you as a matter of confession last week, since preaching this text, I'm so aware of how I'm critical and condemning of people. Even someone this morning in line in front of me uh, as Jill was getting her big sausage biscuit before we got here. Uh, actually, she didn't get that. I did. But nonetheless, <laughs> someone, who had a, someone who had a bumper sticker on their car, and I just felt compelled to criticize it. Just that judging spirit shouldn't be who we are, and yet it often is. And then he says in verse 3, Why do you seek the speck in your brother's eye, or the little splinter, but you don't see the log in your own eye? It's not that you shouldn't help your brother, but you've got bigger problems than you even see. And he's talking about hypocrisy here and how it's so easy for us to find fault with everybody except ourselves. And then he says in verse 6, Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample it and turn an attack on you. And again, giving something before dogs that is holy... Part of that goes back, as we said, to the Old Testament about not eating meat that had been improperly killed. That maybe it wouldn't be good for you, maybe it'd have problems. And that was the, the bad meat you would just give to the dogs. And these were not like the pets you have in your house. These were little dogs that just roamed the streets, and they would just tear it up. And don't give anything holy to the dogs. Just give the, the scraps, the things that aren't. And then pearls before swine. As we said, there was nothing probably more valuable in the first century than a pearl, even more so than gold. 
You give it to swine and they'll trample it on their feet because they want food, not pearls. They have no appreciation for it. And because you didn't give them any food, they'll probably turn on you. So it'll be, we talked at length about that last week. So that's the context. He's in, he's talking about what it means to be part of his kingdom. It's different than the kingdom of the world. And he just talks here, and this is so important, church, listen. He talks about don't throw what is holy before dogs. Don't take what is precious that you have and give it to pigs. And don't judge other people before you look at yourselves. And, and he goes, and all the other beatitudes that he gave about being humble and meek and kind and all of those things. He's, he's unpacked all of that. And then he says these words. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open. Which of you, if he has a son, ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Father, thank you for your word and how it speaks plainly to our hearts. Open our eyes and our ears so that we can hear you and understand you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is one of those verses, like the Apostle Paul when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I like the little meme I'm seeing on Facebook and Twitter. It says, I can do all things through a text taken out of context. <laughs> I can't run a four-minute mile, all right? I can't do all things through Christ. In other words, what Paul is talking about there is not that I'm some sort of a superman and there's nothing I can't do. That's not what he means. Paul ended up in prison. Paul was beaten five times with... 39 lashes. Paul was shipwrecked. He was snake bitten. And eventually, in chains, he was carried to an executioner and executed. What does he mean I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? I can do all things that Christ asks of me through Christ, not through myself. That's what he means. Anything that God requires of us, he will give us the ability to do. It doesn't mean anything I can do just because I want to do it. Well, it's similar in this passage of Scripture where it says, where Jesus says, if you ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, knock, and you'll find. Listen, there's no shortage of preachers today who will take this, and pastors and television evangelists and radio evangelists who'll take this and distort it so that those of us who want to seek inconsequential things, as Richard Owen Roberts said, this gives us a verse to seek them. In other words, if the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear the words, ask and it'll be given to you, if the first thing that comes to my mind is something that has to do with money or health or wealth or fame, I got a problem. Because those are inconsequential compared to what God desires to offer us. Scripture also says he wants to give you the desires of your heart. If you don't receive those desires of your heart, then it's not that he's not giving you what you want. It's that you're wanting the wrong things. He wants you to desire what is right. And if you desire what is right, he will give you what is right. You simply cannot in any way take this text, as many have tried to do, and use it as a, as a magic bottle that you rub a genie and he comes out and he gives you three wishes. It's obviously not what Jesus is talking about. But again, in a world that is so filled with the idea that things make us happy, relationships make us happy, experiences make us happy, 
And everyone, as Richard Owen Roberts said so well in that little video, everyone is seeking for something or someone. Man, that is profound. No one is sitting there not seeking for something or for someone. And in a world seeking for something or someone, it's tempting to take a verse like this and say, come to Jesus, he'll give you stuff. Come to him, he'll fix everything. And then you come to him not because you want him or you're seeking God, but you want the stuff he can give you. And then you're just not in love with him, you're in love with yourself. And as you read the Sermon on the Mount, if it's anything, it's about this is not about self-love. This is not about self-fulfillment. This is not about getting what I want. This is something far more wonderful than that. Jesus makes it clear that if you want your treasure on earth, well, rust and moth will destroy it. Thieves will break in and steal it. But if you put your treasure in heaven, it'll be there for all eternity. Jesus says, my peace I give you. The peace I give you, the world cannot take away. How glorious is that? Anything you get in this world, you can lose in this world, and you will. But you'll never lose him. With that understanding, let's take a look at these three words that Jesus encourages us. Ask. Well, asking implies that you're acknowledging you have a need. Now, let's take for a minute back where we're talking about this text where Jesus has just spoken about. You think, well, you might think, well, that's sort of a drastic turn from don't put what is holy in front of dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine. Many theologians, many pastors, many commentators, and your pastor agree. I think many of Jesus' listeners, who most of them were poor, they were thinking a couple of things when Jesus was speaking about the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, they were thinking, I can't live like that. <laughs> I, I can't live a judge-free life. I'm, I'm just like I, I'm judgmental and critical. That's just my nature. I can't live like that. I can't live like the way he's just outlined in, in this wonderful sermon of what it means to be part of his kingdom. I can't do that. I might could do that for an afternoon and maybe on my best day of my life, but I can't do that day in and day out, week in and week out, month in. That's not possible for a human being to live that level of life. How could that be? So I'm sure in one way they're thinking, that sounds good, but are you looking who you're talking to here? Have you looked at humanity lately? Do you see how we relate to each other? Is it just as simple as saying we're all going to change and be nice now? The words of Rodney King, can't we all just get along? No, obviously we can't. And so no doubt Jesus listeners think, well, that sounds great, but that's not possible. And then he says, don't take what is holy that you have and give it to dogs. Don't take the precious pearls that you have. And probably some of Jesus listeners thinking, I got nothing holy. What do I got that's holy? And pearls? I don't even know anybody who has any pearls. I don't know anybody that has anything that precious. In the midst of that, after those statements, after that message, Jesus then says, well, then ask. <laughs> ask. How do I live up to this? You ask. Where do I find this precious stuff? You ask. 
Asking means you have to acknowledge you need it. You realize there are some people who go to church that don't think they need any. They think they're better than everybody else. I love it when I have to ask when I'm made aware of my sin. I feel better when God awakens me and makes me aware of my sin and my need for him than those times when I feel like I'm better than everybody else and I'm going in a different plane and I don't need anything else. Asking means you know you lack something. And if what you're thinking of is lacking money, lacking a better house, even lacking better health, we're still missing it. Those things are inconsequential compared to all eternity. And the world is full of people who have lots of money and great big houses and many of them and lots of good health and they're miserable, awful, ugly people to be around. They don't bring any happiness, fulfillment at all. So ask. How can I live up to all of this? You ask. You know, James was the brother of Jesus, right? And so he knew Jesus probably as well, if not better than anyone. And remember, James was not a believer or a follower of Christ as the Messiah until after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Like I said, if your brother dies and you see him die and he's put in a tomb and a few days later he knocks on your door, that will have a tendency to change your opinion of things. And it did to James, and he became a pillar of the church. But James, in his little letter to all Christians, writes these words. Sounds very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. God, who gives generously to all without reproach, let him ask of God, and it will be given to him. Similar. You've got to acknowledge you lack wisdom. You've got to acknowledge you don't have all the answers. Asking is a wonderful place to be. It means we are a beggar. We need something. I don't know everything. I can't live the Christian life in my own flesh. And perhaps today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never repented of your sin, you don't know for certain you would go to heaven, then you don't even possess what is holy. You don't even possess the wonderful, precious pearl of salvation. And how do you receive that? You ask for it. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't save up to buy it. Jesus is saying, if you need a pearl, ask for a pearl. You want something precious. The first thing you do is acknowledge you need it. And ask. There's such a humility in asking. Secondly, he says, you seek. Jesus is driving, point, point, driving the point home here. Asking is the first step, but sometimes you have to do more than just ask. You have to diligently seek. You have to really dive in and, and, and explore what God would have and spend time with him in his word. And spend time, you know, when as a young preacher many decades ago you know when I was pastoring up at Alta Vista in Weatherby Missouri I was 18 19 years old and a college student and somebody would come up to me and say hey you said something in a sermon what's that mean man I wanted to tell them I, I wanted to tell them and if I couldn't come up with the answer then I would say and I didn't have an iPhone so I couldn't look it up and I would say you know give me a chance give me a week and I'll come back next Sunday and I'll have that answer for you and I'd go back to college and I'd ask my religion professor. Or I'd go to the library and look it up. And I'd be really anxious to come back and be able to give them the answer. 
And I had a pastor friend tell me one time, man, don't do that. When someone comes up to you and says, what's this verse mean? First thing you say is, how much have you read it? How often have you read it? Read it all week. Ask God to reveal you what you think, what he thinks, what he wants you to believe that it means. Spend some time in prayer. Look in a concordance. Look at, in other words, seek for yourself. Show that you have a hunger for this. Jesus is saying asking is where it begins, acknowledging you have a need. But sometimes you really need to seek it out. You need to spend time with it. It's worth it. It's not inconsequential. Wrestle with it at times, church. That's why we need each other to come together in small groups and in Sunday school and in other Bible study environments. And we're together seeking these things and seeking the truth. So cool and so obvious. Number three, not only do you ask, acknowledge, and you have a need. Not only do you seek being diligent, wanting more information and being passionate about it, not walking away initially. But number three, he says, you knock. You knock. You knock. You just don't quit. I mean, the knocking on the door. Listen, there are a couple of wonderful uh, parables that Jesus gives that really go along with this. And Luke records those parables for us. In Luke chapter 11, we see the first of these. And uh, it's an interesting parable, but it goes right along what Jesus is talking about here. In Luke chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus tells him this story. Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Hey, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because I've had a friend who's arrived on a journey and I've got nothing to feed him. Now, as Jesus is telling this story, this has probably happened to people because Casey's closes at midnight. There's nothing to feed them. And I got, I got no friend. I got this friend. He showed up unexpected. I got nothing in the house. Hey, Loan me some bread. And he'll answer from within, your neighbor will. Don't bother me. Can't you tell my door is shut? My children are here in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything, his friend, yet because he was so persistent, he will rise and give him what he needs. And what's that mean? Jesus is saying, you know, you know, they've all, all experienced this. Years ago, I was traveling, and my, my mom and my dad were staying with my son at my house. And this is back uh, before uh, cell phones. And, uh, and I tried calling my parents at my house, and the line was continually busy. And this was late at night, so it was a little worrisome. So I called the uh, phone company back in the day. You could actually do that. You could call Southwestern Bell, and somebody would pick up. And I said, can you tell me what's up with my phone line? And the lady said, yes, it's, just, it's, not, it's off the hook. Like they hadn't hung it up right. Well, two doors down from where I lived was a co-worker that worked with me. And it was past 10 o'clock at night, but I called him. And I said, look, would you go up and knock on my door and tell my parents to hang up the phone? Because I want to be able to connect to my sons if, if something goes wrong. <laughs> it was like this story. He goes, I'm already in bed. I'm not going to do that. I go, dude, how about Luke chapter 11, verse 5? He said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he didn't do it. It's a long story. I don't want to turn around. He just didn't do it. I couldn't be persistent. I'll never forget that. You know, I should have forgotten. I forgot. Anyway, whatever. 
Somebody calls you, go do something. But, but we've all experienced that. And Jesus is saying it wasn't on the first request that the bread was given. It was because he kept asking that finally this neighbor gave in. And then just a few chapters later in chapter 18, Jesus tells a similar story about a judge and a widow. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he told them this story, uh, the effect that they ought to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. He was a pretty wicked judge, and they all knew judges like that. And there was a widow, and that means someone who has no power, no influence, nothing. This, she could do nothing for this judge. And there was a widow who came to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And he refused for a while. Why would he do that? The adversary might be important. It might have money. He might have influence. Why am I going to judge against you, against my, your adversary and for you? However, verse 4, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, verse 5, because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so she'll not beat me down all day long. What's that mean? Well, Jesus here is talking about the importance of persistence. You don't quit. Vody Bauckham remarked one time, this is a big universe. I'm old enough to remember as a child at nine years old when men walked on the moon. It was a life-changing experience for me watching that live on TV. On the moon. Even tonight, even today, I look up there and I think, there have been men who walked on that thing. I mean, the moon is like across the street. There's a photograph I saw recently, again, on Facebook. It's pretty pretty popular, pretty familiar, taken by the Cassini spacecraft as it orbited Saturn. It's a beautiful picture. The Saturn's ring is sort of in the foreground, and there's this incredibly, incredibly tiny, little, tiny, about a pin-sized head of a pin, white dot with an arrow pointing to it. And that little, tiny, size of a pin white dot is the earth wow when I was in high school Voyager 1 took off in 1977 a bullet travels at 1800 miles an hour Voyager 1's been traveling at 35,000 miles an hour 24 hours a day 7 days a week since I was a junior in high school since 1977. And just now, Voyager 1 is reaching the outer limits of this, our solar system. Not our galaxy. It, it won't reach our galaxy in thousands of years. And once you get to our galaxy, it's just one of billions of galaxies. This universe is unbelievably large. Jill and I were watching Ben Stein and R.C. Sproul on a conversation the other night about intelligent design. And Ben was saying that every cell is so complex. And within every cell, every molecule is so complex. Every bit of DNA is so complex. 
What are the odds that all of that just happened by chance? This is another sermon for another day, but it just couldn't. The universe is governed by laws. Scientists agree with that. Who set those laws into place? There's intelligence. God is a reality, and he's unbelievably big. Because across that vast universe I just tried to explain to you, every rock on every rocky planet has a molecule designed, and God designs and holds them all into place. Every gas of every gas giant out there, God, God designed the gases in those. Every gas has a molecule, and God knows it and holds it into place. The psalmist even says he names the stars, and he holds them in place by his mighty power. Yes, this is an incredibly big universe that we can't even begin to get our minds around. And God is amazingly, unbelievably powerful to hold it all into place. But here's what I do know. When you pray, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, that God hears you. So why don't we pray? Why don't we ask? Why don't we seek? Why don't we knock? Number one, we don't do it because we don't want what he has. We want inconsequential things. Or we don't think we need it. And if that's the case, it's either because our heart has grown hard toward him through infection of sin, or we've never been a believer to begin with. Why else don't we pray? Well, because many times we really don't believe it works. And that's a sin. Because Jesus says he will hear us. And some of you have said, I don't think God hears me. And to that, Vody Bauckham says, I have one word for you in great love and compassion. Repent. Because you're calling God a liar. James even says, as we read in his little epistle, if you want to know and want to have wisdom, ask and God will give it to you. Just as Ron Owen said, it's not that we can't find God, it's that we don't seek him. We don't pursue him. And I love what Ron Owen said. He said, I didn't ask or Richard Owen Roberts. I'm sorry. I love what Richard Owen Roberts said. He said, I didn't ask, did you ever seek God? Most of in this room would say, yes, as a child, I sought God. I made my profession of faith. He says, do you set your heart on God? Do you continue to seek him? Do you continue to look to him? Do you continue to knock and be persistent in your desire for holiness? Your desire to be like him? Your desire to know him? Because the promise in this text is this. If we put our faith, our faith and our, our trust in Christ, if we push our, put, place our faith in God, if we actually turn our face toward him, and if we ask by acknowledging, I need what he has, if we seek by diligently and hungry, looking through his word and spending time, and if we knock, in other words, if we're not going to go away until we get it, been in some worship services where I've heard the preacher say, I want you to come today and I want you to be hungry and I don't want you to go away until you're fed. Come hungry for God. Ask, seek, and knock. Pastor R.K. Hughes says this, asking implies a consciousness for need. The word also suggests humility in asking for its commonly used of someone who's asking somebody superior. The next step involves asking, but also taking action. It's not merely to express my need for help. It involves effort. And finally, knocking involves being persistent. 
Well, I prayed about it. How many times? How long? Well, God hasn't answered. How arrogant for me to say God hasn't answered me. God will answer me. Maybe he's given me the answer. It's just not the answer I want. Jesus is driving home a point. We are to passionately persist in prayer. We naturally persist in prayer. Listen, this is so important. We will naturally, listen, we will naturally persist in prayer when a child of ours is sick. We will naturally persist in prayer when a loved one is at the point of death. We will naturally persist in prayer when we've lost our job and our income. When was the last time we passionately persisted in prayer because we had a hunger for holiness? When was the last time we passionately persisted in prayer because we wanted to feel the power of God once again in our lives? That is what he's talking about. Charles Spurgeon said it better than I could ever say it in one of his morning and evening devotions. As he wrote in the 19th century London, we know of a place here in London that still exists. It's a place where a piece of bread is served to every passerby who chooses to ask for it. It's like Dickinsonian England in London. It was a place of tremendous poverty and some really poor people and sick people and and there was very little places they could get help, but there were some places that would feed the poor and take care of the sick. And Spurgeon says, we know this place, it still exists, where a piece of bread is served to everyone who passes by who asks for it. Whoever the traveler is, all he has to do is to knock at the door of the St. Cross Hospital, and there will be bread for him. Jesus Christ so loveth sinners that he has built a St. Cross Hospital so that whenever a sinner is hungry, all he has to do is knock, and his wants will be supplied. He's done better. He's attached this hospital of the cross and whoever, to, a, to a cleansing, and whosoever soul needs to be cleansed and needs to be washed, he will not only find bread there, he will find cleansing there. No sinner ever went and found that he could not be cleansed at that place. Sins which were as scarlet and as crimson have all disappeared, and the sinner has been made whiter than snow. And if this were not enough, there is attached to the hospital of our Lord not only bread, not only cleansing, but a wardrobe. A sinner may make application simply as a sinner, and he'll be clothed from head to foot in a beautiful new garment. But not only that, he will have armor which will cover him from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he will also have a sword that will be given to him and a shield. Nothing, nothing that is good for him shall be denied him. If all of these things are to be had by merely knocking at mercy's door, listen, oh, my soul, knock hard this morning and ask large things of thy generous Lord. Leave not the throne of grace till all your wants have been spread before the Lord until by faith thou hast a comfortable prospect that they will all be supplied. No bashfulness needs to be when we come before God asking him for these things. No unbelief should hinder us when Jesus has promised he will give us. No cold-heartedness should restrain us when such blessings are there to be obtained by all those who will ask and seek.
and knock. Heavenly Father, may this morning, if there's any here who don't know you as Savior, may they ask for salvation, acknowledging their need of you. May they seek you as their risen Lord. May they knock, Lord, literally inviting you to come in and regenerate their heart. But for so many of us here this morning, there has been a time we have done those things, but we don't do them consistently. We've all been guilty of persisting in prayer and seeking diligently when there's a crisis in our life, but we've become so lazy about doing that on a daily basis when you have such treasure to offer us. Lord, none of us can live this Christian life on our own. None of us possess holiness and pearls of great price on our own, but all of us can receive those if we simply ask, seek, and knock, and you will give those to us. If a uncaring neighbor will give to his neighbor out of persistence if an unjust judge will give to the widow out of persistence how much more will a loving heavenly father respond to our persistence in prayer lord you are a human a great and amazingly powerful god but you promise to hear the prayers of your people may we go from this place today ever confident that you hear our prayer in jesus name amen